Hello, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Crash, episode 332, a UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd and creative wizard, recorded on Friday the 28th of August 2020 at 2346.10. Let's launch straight into the pre-show section and talk about the state of the rewatch. Sorry for the delay. I had an excuse, I was sick, I've been overdoing it again, and there is also another problem. There's currently a worldwide shortage of a stomach acid reduction medication that I am supposed to take, and because of this recall, it's not around. They have alternatives, but the alternatives can give you a dependence. So I was trying to wean myself off the medication instead. But I made myself sick. (laughs) Not great. Yeah, can you believe that? The COVID-19 crisis. And then my parents get stuck here with me. And then on top of all that, there's a recall of the medication that I'm supposed to take. Not great luck. And by overdoing it, well, you heard about the bath panel fiasco. Well, that's continuing, and there's other things to do as well around the house. And yeah, I just had too much to do. So that is certainly better than saying the dog ate my homework. Because I don't have a dog, and I don't have homework. Well, I have show notes. I suppose that's a kind of homework. Yeah, imagine that. Twice a week, writing an essay. And I'm not even at school or at university. Man, I really would be an old boy if I did that. Okay, let's get on to the show. And today we are only talking about one thing, and that is Vintage Doctor Who. We are talking about the Vintage Doctor Who story entitled Revenge of the Cybermen from 1975. Let's start off with some cast and production notes. Tom Baker is the third Doctor. Elizabeth Slarden is Sarah Jane Smith. Ian Martyr is Harry Sullivan. The director is Michael E. Bryant. The writer, Jerry Davis. The producer, Philip Hinchcliffe. And this is the final story of season 12. That would be the fifth story. It follows on from Genesis of the Daleks, which we covered in pod 330. It consisted of four 25-minute episodes and was first broadcast from the 19th of April 1975 to the 10th of May 1975. As usual, to give you a flavour of 1975, we'll do our usual On This Day in the UK. Yet again, I could find nothing of any great significance that happened in the UK on that day, so I resorted to the official charts, and found to my horror that the Bay City Rollers were number one with Bye Bye Baby. And man, do I remember the Bay City Rollers and the Bay City Roller Fever. I'm thinking back to that time, I was pretty young, 
I think I liked them, but I was also a young boy, so I wasn't really their target demographic, which was teenage girls. Although I suppose there could have been some boys who liked the Bay City Rollers as much as teenage girls, but I wasn't one of them. I also remember <laughs> Tartan becoming a big thing, man, everywhere. I mean, even in South London, which is ridiculous. Everyone was wearing Tartan, and that was a good two years before punk. I suppose the Tartan and the flares and the platforms... Okay, it was the 70s. And then the scarves, that was a thing, tartan scarves. But, you know, Tom Baker, Doctor Who, he had a very long scarf. Can't really criticise that. But the thing that I remember that repulsed me the most was those kind of funny Scottish flat caps with, like, a pom-pom on top. I think they've got a name, but I can't remember what they're called. Ugh, people were actually wearing those. Bay City Rollers. Do you think they're still alive? I wasn't that interested enough to Google any further. Ah, don't know. Okay, let's move on from reminiscing about 1975 to playing you a little clip, and then I'll tell you my version of the events of this story. Okay, so stand by for the clip in three, two, one. This is a different point in time. How can you tell? Some of that equipment. This is probably a beacon put in orbit to service and guide space freighters. So this is before the time of the solar flares. You can't prove a thing. No. Well, what about that box you had? The doctor says it controls the cybermats. And I say it's an instrument for analyzing mineral elements. Every exographer carries one. After the cataclysms of our ancient past, Shepra, we've survived down here only by regarding all outsiders as hostile. The two bombs placed in the central fissure of Voga will fragmentize the planet. Fragmentize? Ah, oh, well, I suppose we can't expect decent English from a machine. There's a missile on our port bow. Engage full thrust. Deploy energy. Yes. I think she'll settle down nicely into orbit now. Oh, good. And we're back. Right then, let me tell you what happens, and then we'll move on to what I thought and some trivia. The Doctor, Sarah, and Harry return back to the Nerva space station after Genesis of the Daleks. They find that they have returned to the right place using that time ring, but it is the wrong time. In fact, it is millennia before they left. In this particular time period, Nerva is a manned warning beacon that's been placed there by Earth to prevent ships crashing into a new satellite of Jupiter. The Doctor recognises the moon as, in fact, the planet Voga, which is also known as the planet of gold. But back to Nerva, and aboard the space station, we find out that it's been quarantined by Earth because of a plague on board that has wiped out all but a skeleton crew. 
The plague is, in fact, caused by Cybermats equipped with poison injectors. Yeah, this time the Cybermats don't convert you into Cybermen, but they kill you. Sara becomes a victim, of course, and under the guidance of the Doctor, Harry, carrying Sara, steps aboard the Transmat and is transported away as a way of separating the toxins during the teleportation. But I have to wonder why the Doctor didn't just transport her to a different part of the station rather than to a strange and mysterious planet. But yeah, anyway, on arrival, Sara recovers, but they are almost immediately captured by the Vogans. We find out that one of the crew, Kelman, who I think he's a geologist, is in fact a double agent for both the Vogans and the Cybermen. A faction of the Vogans have offered him gold in return for helping to destroy the station once the Cybermen have boarded as they wish to remain hidden from the universe and especially the Cybermen. At the same time, the Cybermen have promised Kelman rulership of the solar system if he helps destroy Voga. They want to destroy that planet because they see the planet as an existential threat due to the abundance of gold which is toxic to the Cybermen. The Cybermen take Nerva and the Doctor, Nerva's commander and another crewman are captured, fastened to bomb packs and then sent down to Voga with an armed Cyberman escort to deliver their deadly payload. In the tunnels, Harry and Kelman, who early arrived on Voga after the Cyberman no longer required his services, are on a mission to stop the bomb packs from destroying Voga. During Harry and Kelman's trip through the tunnels, Harry causes a rockfall that kills Kelman. He continues on through the passage and finds the Doctor on the other side, buried under some rocks. The Doctor ditches the bomb pack and returns to Nerva, free of the Cybermen who have fled the Vogan Sky Striker missile aimed at the beacon. The Doctor hacks the missile and redirects it to the Cyberman's ship, which explodes. Nerva is now on a collision course with Voga, so the Doctor increases the acceleration of Nerva as it passes nearer and nearer the surface of Voga, until it finally reaches escape velocity and they shoot off into space. The Doctor and his companions then leave quite unceremoniously after the Doctor finds the TARDIS and then quickly goes into the TARDIS and emerges with spools of paper tape which contains a message from the Brigadier back on Earth. Okay then, let me just have a sip of tea and then I'll tell you what I thought. Oh, this is thirsty work. Okay, let's continue. 
First of all, although I couldn't find any reference to this, it strikes me that the Vogans are like Tolkien-esque dwarves in that they live in caves filled with gold, they are miners, they are bearded, they have large heads, and they're very secretive, and they shy away from the affairs of others. They also dress in a semi-medievalish way. Let's move on to props and effects, and those are noticeably better in this story. I'll give you an example of that. There's a scene in which Kalman uses a small video surveillance device, slightly bigger than a packet of cigarettes, or the thickness and size of two smartphones jammed together, to spy on his colleagues. And we are treated to one of those video within video effects, so we can see what's happening on Kalman's small video display. I thought that was quite cool. For the time. And oh yeah, before I forget, the guns also look a lot more realistic. According to the special features, the crew of the station have replica Uzis that are sci-fied up a little. Had like a protrusion coming out of the barrel that was a bit longer. Although I thought they looked a bit more like Ingram Mac-10s. But I could be mistaken. And the Vogans also had guns that propel grenades or baton rounds, you know, rubber bullets, cosmetically and pyrotechnically changed into blasters. So yeah, the effects and the props are a little better. Let's move on to Sara. And yet again, she is the damsel in distress, and I am starting to wonder whether her constant irritation in the script at least is partly enhanced by Elizabeth Slardon's real reaction to her role. Maybe she's getting annoyed. The special features also mention a dunking after her motorboat went haywire, so maybe that's the reason for her prickliness. But I couldn't blame her for being annoyed at her role of someone who needs being rescued. Mind you, it can't have been great that Ian Martyr, the actor who plays Harry Sullivan, had to play a clumsy chauvinist. But anyway, back to Elizabeth Slarden. Whatever the case, from watching the late Slarden's interviews, she didn't seem the type to complain, at least not on screen. So I suppose we'll never really know what she thought. I'd hate to call her a lovey, but she is certainly a trooper. Let's move on to Tom Baker now. And from watching these last few stories with Tom Baker, an early Tom Baker that is, I can quite clearly see that he would become more than any other old Who Doctor, the template for the new Who Doctors. He's funny, he's kind, He's pacifistic most of the time, though he does weaponize a Cybermat to kill a Cyberman in this story. He's physically dynamic. He's very charismatic. 
which all makes him sound like a saint, but he's still got a bit of an edge, as we'll find out in a moment. I noticed that the Doctor is getting more and more fed up of Harry Sullivan's clumsiness, and when, in the caves, Harry almost kills the Doctor in the tunnel by clumsily causing that rockfall that we mentioned earlier, and right after the rockfall almost blows up the Doctor by releasing the buckle from his bomb pack, which will automatically set off the bomb, the Doctor laughs and shouts, Harry is an imbecile! And that really made me laugh. I don't think it's a nice thing to say, but it does show that the Doctor is, I was going to say, human. Well, he isn't a saint. The other point I wanted to make, and that's from watching this entire story, Revenge of the Cybermen. In what exact way is this revenge? Is it that the Cybermen want vengeance on Voga? because their gold is seen as a threat. Doesn't really sound like vengeance, that just sounds like a preemptive strike. The Vogons are also in hiding, so what would be the point? That just emphasises the point I just made. Sure, in this story there are more militant Vogans, but the Cybermen don't know that. What I think this is, is an example of a rather weak, clickbaity title. Though maybe I missed something, so if I did, let me know. Don't get me wrong though, I did enjoy this story. Despite the slightly irrelevant title. Let's move on to something that wasn't so great, and that was the use of stock NASA footage of a rocket taking off in bright sunlight that is supposed to stand in for the Vogan's Sky Striker missile. This is entirely at odds with the gloomy planet Voga. It's a bit like how they would use stock footage in really terrible westerns and films in the old days, and it would always be the same Hollywood stock imagery. There'd be buffaloes running. <laughs> That was one I've seen so many times. In fact, in oh, the Johnny Weismuller Tarzan, I think. And I think it was parodied also in that Johnny Depp film about the worst Hollywood film director. What was that called? I love that film. Edward. Yeah, so that stock footage was pretty awful. There's also another... Fairly ridiculous scene where the cyber leader grabs the doctor by the shoulders and gives him a gentle shaking. I don't know what that's supposed to achieve. As a piece of fight choreography, it is ludicrous. I, what he, I mean, what is he doing to the doctor? It actually looks rather therapeutic. Maybe Tom Baker had bad shoulders. What else? Oh, okay. I'm looking at my notes here, and yeah. Despite this being a Philip Hinchcliffe production, it seemed very tame and not at all horrific in any way at all. 
Hinchcliffe says in the special features that he did struggle to make the story more dramatic, although he says that he achieved this. I don't think that he did. I mean, it is a good story, and I did enjoy it, but it definitely did not have that Philip Hinchcliffe signature ruby-red vein of blood-red horror running through the centre of it. Oh yeah, and I forgot to mention, another thing I heard in the dialogue was mention of a glitter gun, which sounds wonderfully evocative. What they're talking about is a type of anti-Cyberman gun that fires gold dust, I suppose, but glitter gun, that sounds so 70s, that should be the name of a band. I'm sorry, I can't tell you the context, or who said what to who, but I just remember those words. Glitter gun. Finally, we move to the last scene, the scene when the Doctor emerges from the TARDIS holding that ticker tape ribbon, which is the printer output from his telegraph machine. I've got to say, a telegraph machine that can transcend time and space. How steampunk is that? That is so cool. In fact, somewhere I saw, I think it was on Hackaday, and sorry if you're not into the tech stuff, but the other podcast I do is an all-round geek podcast that does include tech stuff. So pardon me the diversion for a moment, but I saw on Hackaday a project where some person had made a kind of modern ticker tape machine, which is like an enclosed in a glass dome telegraph machine. And the idea was that it could churn out news and stuff that you get from the web. I think that's just so cool. I'd love to have something like that. That is very H.G. Wells. Maybe that's a project for me to consider sometime when I actually have any time. Let's move on to some trivia. The spectacular Wookiee Hole Caves in Somerset stood in for the planet Voga, with its elaborate network of subterranean tunnels, passages and lakes. I'm not sure if I've visited Wookiee Hole. I think my parents have. I think. I think they told me it was quite cool. So there you are. There was a little more on-location shooting. I wonder if they fitted that in when they were in the southwest doing the Sontaran experiment. I know something was mentioned on the special features, but I just can't remember right at this moment. To save money after the expensive on-location filming of the Ark in Space, which we covered in Podisode 327, the Nerva space station setting is reused, and they do that same old trick where you've got the torus, the donut ring of the spaceship corridor, and they only built one part of it, and you'd see the Doctor coming towards the camera. First they'd film it from one angle, then they would film it from the other angle, I think, or did they just mirror that same footage to make it look like it's going round the whole section where all they've built is a quarter of that torus. <laughs> I'm digressing. Let's move on to the Seal of Rassilon. 
Yes, the sigil used by the Time Lord's Lord High President, Rassilon, appears on the wall of one of the Vogan chambers. Online sources state that this is a case of cultural appropriation on the part of non-Time Lord cultures. Sounds reasonable to me. I just think that this symbol was used in a lot of props, and they were just in some prop warehouse, and any time <laughs> someone was designing the sets for a particular story, they'd look around and say, oh, that looks quite mysterious and interesting, let's stick it into this story. But I do like the idea of other cultures culturally appropriating cool symbology, because it happens all the time, it happens on Earth. Tribal tattoo, anyone? The special features say that Revenge of the Cybermen was the first videotape produced and sold to the public by the BBC in 1983 for, wait for it, £39.95, which is an enormous amount in 1983. The special features came out in 2009 and they said that in 2009, that would have been a hundred plus pounds. Well, I put 39.95 into a financial projection calculator thingy on the web, and I found out that that tape today in 2020 would have cost 136 pounds, which is absolutely insane. Thank God for piracy. Which by the way, is a point that is made on that special features tape. So I'm not encouraging piracy. Blame the BBC for that. They produce the special features, so... Yeah. We have run on longer than is usual, but that is it. That is it for trivia. That is it for Revenge of the Cyberman from 1975. I hope you enjoyed that. And again, I'm sorry that I was a couple of days late. It unfortunately could not be helped. This show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelled M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com. And there you can also find things that I've written, and you can also find a link to a novel that I have written. And if you are a geek, you will want to do that. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend or an enemy, and particularly recommend and rate my show on Apple Podcasts. I have a Discord chat that I leave open at the moment on Friday, 7pm UK time, which at the moment is GMT plus one, because we are in British summertime. If you want to take part in that, that'd be great. You can also drop me a couple of quid by <laughs> going to my website, which I mentioned earlier, and clicking on the support link. And if you do that, you'll have my thanks. But if it's something you don't feel like you're in a financial position to do, that is also absolutely fine. Just keep listening and subscribe if you haven't already done so. That is it. You are listening to Crash, the UK 
Geek Podcast. This was episode number 332, recorded on Friday the 28th of August, but ending on Saturday the 29th of August 2020 at 002815. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye.